There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. 97.1 FM The Drive presents the Behind the Song Podcast, taking you deeper into classic rock's most timeless tunes. Here's your host, Janda. In this episode of Behind the Song, let's get into the lyrics and the backstory of Barracuda by Heart. The song, released as the lead single on the band's second album, Little Queen, in 1977, is one in a long list of rock songs that skewers the music business. Welcome to the Machine and Have a Cigar by Pink Floyd do this, as does Refugee by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, Search and Destroy by the Stooges, Working for MCA by Leonard Skinner, So You Want to Be a Rock and Roll Star by The Birds, and many more. And there's a reason for that. By design, most record label deals are set up to both make the dreams of aspiring rock stars possible and at the same time put them into a kind of indentured servitude because of how recording contracts are written. Usually, a band signs a contract from the label to write, release, and promote a certain number of albums. What many bands don't realize when they sign the paperwork is that all of the recording and promotional expenses around those albums are taken from the band's profits and paid back to the label until they sell enough copies of an album to recoup the cost. Sometimes upwards of millions of dollars to be paid back until the band sees one penny of profit. It is a business model which wouldn't be tolerated outside of the dream factory of music and one that has been railed against in songs and in courtrooms by artists in all genres of music. And it is a business practice that still continues to this day. It's one reason that many bands don't make it. The pressures of trying to fulfill their impossible contracts while being rendered essentially penniless are often too great to bear. This was the situation that the Wilson sisters, the elder Anne and her sister Nancy, younger by four years, found themselves and their band in when it came time to record and release their second album. Hart's first album, Dreamboat Annie, was a success, reaching number seven on the Billboard chart and generating hits like Magic Man and Crazy on You. It sold like hotcakes, going platinum on the strength of the songs and the fact that there were two gorgeous sisters in the band, Anne as the powerhouse lead vocalist and Nancy on guitar and backing vocals. But as is often the case with debut albums, the band were not seeing any royalties from the sales, and they tried to renegotiate their contract with their label, Mushroom Records. Thinking that a rock band fronted by two sisters was just a fad or a fluke, a one-hit wonder, The label held them to their contract, not budging on the royalties, and then to add insult to injury, put out an ad in Rolling Stone made to look like a tabloid cover, which showed Anne and Nancy with the caption, Hart's Wilson sisters confess, it was only our first time. The double meaning and sleaziness of the ad, insinuating that the sisters were in a sexual relationship, 
gravely offended the sisters and the rest of Hart, none of whom were told about it before seeing it on the newsstands. Their producer, Mike Flicker, had been employed by the record label, and it was stipulated in their contract that he would produce two albums by the band for the label. But Flicker quit and sided with the band, which put Mushroom in breach of contract. And the band felt that they were then free to sign with another label for their next album, and they did with Portrait Records, and began working on Little Queen for their sophomore effort. Mushroom took it to court and tried to prevent Hart from releasing any other future work at all. They even released unfinished tracks, demos that the band had recorded, on a first issue of the band's magazine album in April of 1977, a month before Little Queen was to come out, which horrified the band. The label claimed it to be their right to do so to fulfill the album number two stipulation per that contract. After a court battle, which determined that the band were free to go with Portrait after producing two albums for Mushroom, the band trudged back into the studio and rearranged and remixed the songs on the magazine album so that they wouldn't be the hodgepodge of unfinished tracks that the label had released. While a court-ordered guard stood by to make sure that none of the master tapes would disappear. That effort led to a re-release of the magazine album the year after Little Queen was released on Portrait Records in May of 1977. So, technically, you could say that Little Queen was their second or their third album. The original copies of magazine were ordered by the court to be recalled from store shelves. Mushroom Records went out of business in 1980. What a mess, right? The good old music biz is not for the faint of heart. And speaking of heart... There was one more incident during all this that led directly to the lyrics of Barracuda. While the band were on the road touring behind the Dreamboat Annie album, they made a tour stop in Detroit. It was shortly after the aforementioned tabloid-style ad appeared in Rolling Stone, and a promoter asked Anne where her lover was. Thinking that he meant Michael Fisher, the band's manager, who she was romantically involved with, and who, incidentally, was the subject of Magic Man, she started to answer, but then she quickly realized that he was talking about her sister Nancy, referring to her as Anne's lover. Completely disgusted, she told Nancy about it, who was also aghast at the comment, the audacity and leering disrespect of it, to say such a thing directly to their faces. Anne had already begun writing lyrics to a song about this incident, and Nancy quickly joined in to add the melody. Barracuda was born, and it starts like this. So this ain't the end. I saw you again today. Had to turn my heart away. You smiled like the sun, kisses for everyone, and tales, it never fails. You lying so low in the weeds, bet you're gonna ambush me. You'd have me down on my knees, wouldn't you, Barracuda? A Barracuda, a razor-toothed, fast-moving, predatory fish that opportunistically killed their prey. This is how the Wilson sisters viewed their interaction with that promoter, and indeed with their experience of much of the music business at that point in their career, as something that would hunt them down and take them out. Even when supposedly working for them on their behalf, some of the men in the industry couldn't help but fetishize the sisters and degrade them with bold, ugly comments and even call them names. The song continues. Back over time, when we were all trying for free, 
met up with Porpoise and me. No right, no wrong. You're selling a song, a name, Whisper Game. In an interview with The Stranger, the weekly entertainment newspaper in the sister's hometown of Seattle, Anne said that Porpoise is a nickname that she and Nancy had for each other at the time. Kind of a play on the walrus mystique from their heroes, the Beatles. In the context of the song, the porpoise is an innocent creature swimming around in the music business and faced with the predatory barracuda who seems all smiles at first until you see the teeth. And the song goes on. If the real thing don't do the trick, you'd better make up something quick. You're going to burn it out to the wick, aren't you? Barracuda. These lyrics directly refer to the rage the sisters felt over the whole situation, from their record label and the promoters they were meeting on the road, that they were involved in an incestuous relationship, because it wasn't good enough for them just to be two beautiful, young, talented women who were in a rock band. A story was created to make them risque. In fact, Anne and Nancy were the daughters of a Marine major with a strong family upbringing that included pancakes and opera every Sunday with their parents and other siblings, also girls, as part of their home life, even though they moved around as part of the military until settling in Seattle when the girls were young. There was nothing even remotely risque about the sisters, except maybe for the odd fact that within the band dynamic, Anne was dating Mike Fisher, who, as I mentioned, was the band's manager, while Nancy was dating Roger Fisher, the guitarist, who was also Mike's brother, which meant that there were two sets of siblings dating one another in the band. But again, nothing risque or wrong with that, and it certainly wouldn't make for juicy tabloid fodder that the label could use to sell the band. And the song continues. Sell me, sell you, the porpoise said. Dive down deep to save my head. I think you got the blues, too. All that night and all the next, swam without looking back. Made for the western pools, silly fools. So the song ends with the sisters acknowledging that being sold as little more than a freak show was not going to be something that they could tolerate, and that the whole affair made them want to go home, swim to the western pools of the Pacific Northwest that they grew up in, away from the advantageous barracudas in the music industry. When Barracuda was released, it climbed to number 11 on the Billboard Hot 100 chart, and it is still one of the band's signature songs. The Little Queen album went to number 9 on the Billboard chart and is three times platinum in the U.S. alone. The band have sold over 35 million albums worldwide. In 2013, they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. The late Chris Cornell of Soundgarden did the honors at the induction and emotionally praised the Wilson sisters for paving the way for other rock musicians from Seattle. Nancy Wilson famously married the Rolling Stone writer and film director Cameron Crowe, although they're now divorced. Their twin sons were the subject of a major rift between the sisters when, in 2016, Anne's husband, Dean Wetter, was arrested for assaulting the boys after they accidentally left the door open on Anne's tour bus in Seattle and risked letting the couple's dogs out. The rift between the families would last for three years, and it was the most extreme that the sisters ever underwent over their whole career. They refused to share a dressing room for the first time ever or even speak to one another in person, and it almost completely sidelined any future plans for Hart. They finally reconciled in 2019, 
announcing the Love Alive tour, which lasted through that summer. And that's a good thing. Nobody likes to see families torn apart, much less two trailblazing sisters like Anne and Nancy Wilson, who endured so much in the early days of their career when all they wanted to do was rock. For two girls who went crazy for music from the moment they saw the Beatles perform on The Ed Sullivan Show, they sure did good. Barracudas and all. I'm Janda, and this has been Behind the Song. Special thanks to Christian Lane for the music you hear on this podcast. Subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Podcast One, or stream for free at WDRV.com, Behind the Song, or on the Drive app. Subscribe to the Behind the Song podcast on YouTube and see the video episode. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Jandalane Radio and on Twitter at Jandalane. On the way, new episodes on the lyrics of The Kinks, Warren Zevon, and more classic rock and roll. Put the power of podcasting to work for your business. You can be part of Behind the Song and reach potential customers inside every episode. To advertise your product or service by sponsoring Behind the Song, send an email to podcast at hubbardradio.com now.